So like I, I mentioned before, we're starting a, a series and it really corresponds with this time we're moving into in the month of August. As we were planning August, Mandy and Ben and I, Ben, you know, he's, uh, he's an intern here at Christ City and he's going to be tra uh, transitioning into a pastoral residency soon. But um, as the three of us were planning, I was looking and I'm like, August is really going to be kind of family Sunday. I mean, family month. And, and the reasons are because we've got this back to school youth and teacher appreciation Sunday. Lots of people are going to be, you know, done traveling and things like that. And then on the 14th, we start Godly Play. And then uh, the, next, the next Sunday, I think the next Sunday, um, no, the 28th is Community Sunday. And Community Sunday is a sense of our, our church family and how we connect through our story groups and uh, other things like that. So excited about that. And, and as, as I was looking through the, the lectionary text, I saw a theme that related to that related to family, and it related to this theme of purpose and, um, and our need to embrace purpose. And I think um, no matter where I go or, or what I do, I hear a similar story about what's happening in the way that people gather and do things that's different from March 2020, pre-March 2020 until now. So I was at the, the Dixon, the, the uh, art Museum the Dixon, I was giving a talk on Wednesday. And, um, and I was talking to different people that, that showed up for the talk beforehand and hearing what people are involved in. And everything that I heard, there was a, it's kind of a, um, well, it used to be like this, and now it's, it's kind of like this, you know. And, and I was thinking about the energy that we've all exerted and, and, and felt pulled from us and all the stressors, not just the pandemic, but all the things going on politically, the ongoing uh, wars and, and all, all the just the changes in, in laws and the power struggles over culture, just a lot of exhausting things. And uh, some of you with little kids will be able to uniquely relate to this. Um, sometimes I feel really, really exhausted before I put my kids to bed. So exhausted, I, I don't, it's like I can't even, I can barely move a muscle. Anybody with, with little kids feel that way? Yeah, or maybe big kids too, I don't know. Um, and I get my kids to bed, and then there's this change in the air when, when, when the last one falls asleep, and, and, and the breathings change, right? And the sound machine's been humming uninterrupted for a good 10, 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, what is this feeling? I feel it's, it's energy. It's, it's a sense that I could do something for a long time now. And before I was literally loading the dishwasher like this. Like one more boss. <laughs> uh, and I, I think that that sort of shift that happens in energy levels also relates to how we feel purpose or we do not feel purpose in the life that we're living. That we can feel completely exhausted, but when there's a change in focus, when there's a change in the atmosphere, in the air around us, whether it has anything to do with little children or not, um, we can find energy that we didn't know existed. And as human beings, 
one of the greatest sources of energy that we have access to is purpose, is purpose. If we don't, if we don't have a goal, a goal that's beyond ourselves, a purpose that's greater than just us, then we can find a lack of energy. We can find a lack of access to available energy to live our life because we don't feel that sense of purpose. And purpose is, is personal, it's, it's communal, and it can be transcendent. So over the next few Sundays, we're going to be talking about how do we embrace that purpose and find that energy to apply to our life. And, and inversely, um, the energy that we have it's been given to us so that we can pursue purpose. So it's kind of a chicken and egg kind of thing. This morning, this passage, um, it, it's called the parable of the rich fool, if you've got the little, the little headers in your, in your text. But when we look at through this, this lens of purpose, I've titled this sermon, What You Should Do With Your Life. It's a, it's a pretty big, pretty big, ambitious thing to say, right? But I think that's what this parable is really about, what you should do with your life. When I think about that idea, I think about dying. Um, I think about dying semi-regularly, not as much as I used to when I used to fly a lot, fly all over the country on airplanes. The last time I flew was this summer, and, um, and, I, and one of the things I did during COVID was get my life insurance situated. So I was flying and there was a storm and I was like, oh. And then I remembered, oh, I've got life insurance. My family's good. I can, if we go down, they're, they're straight. But I think about that. And, and here's one of the things that, that comes across my mind is if I found out I was going to die soon, if I got a diagnosis that was terminal, um, what would I want to change about the things that I'm doing in my life, the tasks I'm pursuing? What I'm not talking about is a bucket list. I'm not talking about skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing and, and riding the bull. Some of, you, some of you get that reference. Some of you, it'll, it'll hit you on the way home or, or when you hear a, a radio top 100 from 20 years ago or something. I'm not talking about a bucket list, but I'm more talking about the way that I love my family and my church family and my community, and then the limitations I'm coming up against in myself, and am I pursuing the things that I need to in order to expand those parts of me, to enhance and to grow the parts of me that are limited, that, I, that I'm, I'm filled with a, a, a sense of shame or I'm running into barriers in my life to be able to live the way that I would like to be able to live. So not like these kind of one-time things like, oh, I always wish I was, had you know, taken a painting class or you know, I wanted to be a, a gymnast when I was growing up, so I'm gonna start on the rings or something. I don't know where that reference came from, but um, probably thank social media background, you know, imagination stuff for that. But um, these sorts of things about, am I pursuing the tasks in life that I really feel good about? that at the stage of life that I'm in, 
with the responsibilities that I have and that I know of, am I applying my life in a way that if I found out you've got two months to live, I would say in general, there's really not much for me to do differently. I think I would just continue to do the same types of things that I'm doing. Or would you think to yourself, oh no, I have been exerting a ton of energy to achieve these goals and then thinking to myself, once that goal is achieved, then I'll pay attention to the relationships. Then I'll pay attention to my mental health. Then I'll pay attention to the family members that I've neglected or the relationships I'm estranged from. I've got to change now so fast and there's not enough time to do it. I think that's what this story is about. And I think on both sides of that coin, maybe we can all relate to that in some type of way. And it's different, and that, that's what these sermons are, are, we're gonna talk about and explore. It's different depending on where you are in life. If, God forbid, my six-year-old Malia, which all my, my kids are at home and they're, they're sick right now, um, but if she found out she was terminally ill, it would sound pretty funny if she was like, well, I gotta get my life insurance in order and I've gotta like figure out who's gonna inherit my, my dolls or something like that, right? We would expect something different from a child and their tasks in life than we would expect from somebody in their 20s or their 30s or their 40s or their 50s or their 60s and their 70s. And I think this, this is so important of a lens to look through this text because I think in our culture, we're really confused about those things. We're confused about the fact that in different periods of our life, there is a different set of tasks to apply ourselves to. That, that Brenda and I were talking about this before the service, just about what Calvin, her 14-month-old, is doing right now and, and, and how he's exploring things and and busting through boundaries, you know, in the house. And it's like, if I went into her house as a grown man and I was flicking on the oven switches, you know, lighting the gas stoves and stuff, she would kick me out of the house immediately. She'd be like, what do you, why would you do that? What is going on with you? But for a 14 month old, we say, yeah, he's exploring the world. That's part of his task in life right now. And so when we look at this passage here, I think the, the story is about a person, a human being, who is confused and disoriented about their task in life. What is it that they should be doing with what God has given them in the age and the circumstances that they are in? And because that person is confused and disoriented and is not desiring to change, he wastes his life. Uh, many sociologists, spiritual teachers, indigenous cultures, they, they have discovered, um, innovated upon, detailed different stages of life that human beings can and usually will travel through. It's like a, like a blueprint written within human beings that God gave us so that 
we go through those stages. We go through the stage of where we need to see our parent all the time because we're not able to trust that our parent, once they, we can't see them anymore, object permanence, that they will not reappear. They won't come back to take care of us. Or sometimes, or not sometimes, in, in, in adolescence, in middle school and high school, we're trying to figure out how are we distinct? How are we an individual? How are we uh, separate from other people? And we're trying to discover our identity, and that's where you might go through your jock phase or your goth phase or your um, academic anxiety phases and, you know, deciding how you want to uh, dress and what kind of ways you want to do your hair and all these things. And some of us never have gotten past that phase, right? Just watch TikTok and you'll see that. But we've, we've, we've got these different stages of life. And if we're able to do the task well in that stage of life, then it's more likely we can progress to the next stage in a healthy way. But what's true of most of us is those various stages of life, because of, because of sin, because of uh, uh, imperfections, because of, of needs that our caregivers had and, and their caregivers had that went unmet, we don't travel through those stages the way that we were designed to. And so we're left lacking in different ways. We're left with deficiencies of trust, of identity. And we look to fill those things with something that we hope will provide us with the satisfaction that we've been missing all along. So that is the state in which we come to in this text here as we see Jesus is in the middle of doing a variety of teachings in the book of Matthew. Uh, these teachings are uh, connected with the Sermon on the Mount and the, and the Beatitudes and uh, similarly here in the book of Luke. So Jesus is doing these teachings and there's lots of crowds and there's people trying to listen and hear. And in that context, someone in the crowd, verse 13, yells out to me, says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? I, I want to point this out because there's this, this, uh, this time, I, it's, in, it's in Luke chapter 2 when, when uh, Mary tells Jesus like, hey, the people are out of wine, you know, at the banquet. Jesus does the first miracle, the one all the people that are alcoholics justify their drinking with, right? Jesus' first miracle... <laughs> Um, and, and, and he responds to her and he says, woman, and I just want to point out just because, you know, we need to defend God sometimes. That's a, that's a joke. We don't actually need to defend God. Um, even though that's a, a very popular pastime in our country. Um, he says man to this dude too. Like he's just, he's just on the pronouns, right? The pronoun kick. That is a pronoun, isn't it? No, it's not. It's just a noun. Yeah, it's just a noun. Anyway, he doesn't call him by name. That's my point. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? 
Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. So this guy's hoping to get an answer from Jesus about a pretty important issue. I mean, families split over this kind of stuff, right? When somebody dies and they have an estate and their will's not clear or something like that, or there's a little bit of money to be divided up and it hasn't been organized well, I mean, families uh, break apart over these kinds of things. I think there's probably like a good handful of movies about it, you know, as well. Um, And Jesus says, hey, I'm not the judge or arbiter between you. And the interesting thing there is that as a rabbi, as a teacher of the law, that actually would have been something that a rabbi might have usually done, is helped people decide that. That's the kind of stuff like Moses did too, who's kind of like the precursor for, you know, a, a, a rabbi of Jesus's time. You know, he, there's a story, he'd sit down, he was trying to solve everybody's problems after they escaped from Egypt, and this guy, you know, hurt my donkey and he won't pay for it, you know, and that kind of thing. And uh, Jesus is like, hey, you know what? I'm not really interested in, in that problem, uh, that, that's kind of the surface level problem you're presenting me. And I think it's, that's interesting because we have these voices in our head and sometimes we think they're God. And maybe one of those voices for you growing up has been that like, that God is policing your money really closely, that God's looking at how you spend your money and, and seeing, oh, this little bit here. And oh, I saw that you rounded up at Chipotle. So bonus points for you this week. I'm gonna bless you with you know, a brand new car because you did that or something like that. And, 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 and kind of what I see Jesus saying here is he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm just not, I don't, I, don't got time. I don't got the energy for that conversation right now. That's something, that's something I've learned to say. I want to say it in a way that doesn't sound condescending, you know, like I don't have the energy for that conversation. That sounds kind of condescending. But he's not interested in that. He dives straight into a deeper purpose around the question underneath the question, and that is how do the, does the way that we look at our money, our possessions, our finances, how does that shape purpose in our lives? And, and also, in turn, what purpose do those things have in our life as well? So um, this gospel, as well as the rest of the New Testament, it was written in a form of Greek originally. And Greek has a different syntax a lot of times, like the order of the sentence looks a little bit different. And when I looked at this, these verses in Greek, it was really interesting the way verse 15 sounded, and I have it on the screen. So it says in, in the NIV translation, it says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Um, the way that the literal translation in the Greek says it is, not even when one has abundance does his or her life consist of those possessions. So it's sort of that idea of like, well, I'm, I'm almost there. Like once I get there, I'll, I'll have enough. And Jesus kind of, in this wording here that we see in the, in the, original, uh, in the original Greek, it's kind of, shortcutting to the end of that. Even, even if 
Even when somebody does have abundance, their life still does not consist of that abundance, of those possessions. So it's kind of like wherever you are in the spectrum, you're not really any closer or further away to what you can have as an abundant life. That, man, that could be preached every Sunday in the American church and it wouldn't be enough times. It wouldn't be enough times because we get that message, we get the opposite of that message all day, every day, everywhere else. It's like fighting up a current in a tiny little, you know, inflatable raft with a chopstick for your, for your uh, row, rower, paddle. That's the word, paddle. So he says... Be on your guard against greed. So what, it, what, does, what does the greed do? And he tells this story in verse 16. Jesus just loves telling these stories, right? He just loves giving you just more things to think about, not easy answers, you know, not really a bunch of application points, just stuff to wrestle with, keep you up at night. And he told them this parable the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. There's that word abundant again. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So here's what we know about this guy. He's already rich and we know he's got a lot of land because uh, his land yielded an abundant harvest. So he's already rich. He's got a lot of land and his land is producing a bunch. So his wealth is being multiplied. And, um, and we'll find out, as it is right now, there's really not anybody else in this story. There's no dialogue happening except for towards the end where God says something to him. But there's, there's not really any, anybody else in this story. It's just him thinking about his life and what he's got and the multiplication of the things that he has. And he says, you know, what should I do? Like I got all this stuff and I, I got so much stuff. The stuff I have, I don't have enough places to store the stuff. What should I do? Oh, maybe you could share it. Maybe you could in, invest it in the community. Maybe you could um, hire more people and maybe they could find out ways to help you be benevolent with what you've got. There's so many ideas, so many ways that don't occur to him at all. He's just thinking to himself, what do I do with all this stuff that I got and that I'm getting more and more of? And it's really easy to look at him and say, oh man, this guy, man, he's so greedy and selfish. But can you ever, can you relate to ever getting, being gifted something and you're just, you're churning it over in your mind? Like, what am I gonna do with this big, gift that I have, this big amount of money or this thing that I inherited or this thing that like my friend gave me. But my daughter Malia always seems to get toys from other kids. And it's, it's just really annoying. Like, I'm, I'm like, where did that come from? Oh, the Nelsons gave that to, 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 to uh, Malia. And I'm like, why? why? Why isn't she the one giving away all of her crap? Like, we've got so much crap, we, Benjamin can't even walk to his bed because Malia's got just all these trinkets and figurines everywhere. And I'm like, Malia, let's give some of this stuff away to kids that don't have anything. And she's like, no, no, I don't want to do that. I want to figure out how to, like, 
keep it all in my room and have it in all these piles everywhere and things like that. And I wonder if you can think of something that you've exerted a ton of energy just figuring out how to hold on to abundance and excess that really you could just ask other people, hey, how could I share this well? I know that's been true of me, putting a lot of energy into something and thinking like, what is going on here? Why am I doing this? Why am I so worried about holding on to this thing here? This, maybe it's prestige, maybe it's title, maybe it's credit for something. It's some type of abundance that I have. And the last thing I think about is how to give it away, how to share it with other people. So this guy says, what should I do with this? In verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Is this a warning against having a retirement fund? I don't think so. I think retirement funds are a good thing to have and um, something that you should think about doing if you're, you're getting you know, halfway through you know, life and things if you haven't done that. Um, it, in fact, it should be, as I assume this man is, it should be a little bit easier in, the, in sort of the ideal, if things kind of go at least somewhat right for you, it should be a little bit easier to get some financial stability as you get older, barring huge um, uh, catastrophes in life and um, things like that. But for a, a lot of folks, a lot of folks here, um, you know, you will probably have more financial stability and some excess as you get older. It's probably going to happen. And in an ideal world, everybody would. So um, this guy, he decides, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to kind of keep all my stuff, just focus my time and energy on building more holders for all of my possessions. And we find there's still, yet again, there's just nobody else in this story. It's just him. It's just him worried about himself, his possessions, and what he's going to do with those things. Again, it reminds me of my daughter, and it reminds me of these stages in life. Uh, one of the, the, the first, or the first stage that this, uh, this psychologist, Eric Erickson, said that every human being goes through is this stage where they're learning what to trust and what not to trust. It's like a stage of trust versus mistrust. And it's that idea, again, of that object permanency, right? Of like, if it's gone, um, if I can't see it, it's not there. If my mommy's not in view, then she might be gone forever and I can't trust that she'll come back. And this is a stage that we all need to go through. And what we learn in that stage, uh, for better or for worse, depending on how that goes for us as, as an infant, is what's trustable, what can we have faith in, and what should we not trust and not have faith in so that we can navigate life? And I wonder for this guy in this story, if part of the thing for him is that he doesn't know how to trust 
what could be trusted in his life. That in fact, that part of him is still stuck all the way back, almost all the way back in infancy, that he has a piece of him that was never able to grow up, that was never able to complete the task of learning what to trust and what not to trust in life. And so he assumes everything must be gathered and hoarded and kept for himself because there's a piece of him inside of him that's still a time little child crying for affection and for care and to be nurtured. When that happens to us, we tend to fall into a sense of gluttony in life. Um, Gluttony being defined as an, an excessive desire and a capacity to take things in to ourselves. And it comes from of a fear that tomorrow it won't be there. So we've got to keep it for ourselves. We've got to have it for ourselves today and right now. It comes from the thinking that um, that there are things out there that can make us happy, can give us fulfillment, and we've got to have access to all of it all the time. Because if we don't, it might not be there. It might not be possible to have that. And I've got to get it while I can. And I've got to hoard as much of it as I can for myself. Right before this, in the teachings Jesus is is talking about, one of the things that he says is, hey, you know what? Um, God knows the number of hairs on your head. And that when a sparrow falls, God takes notice of that. And that your worth is far more than a sparrow. And in the call and response we read from Hosea, where Hosea is is imagining God and proclaiming God to the people of Israel as the one who lifts the infant up and holds that infant to his cheek. And so we find in this story somebody who tragically has failed to receive that ability to trust. And because of it, he is losing his sense of purpose, but others are losing their, their ability to even have their needs met because of his hoarding. But I think there's something else at play, and it's, the, it's what Jesus named. It's, it's a sense of, of greed that's taking place. And greed being defined as an inordinate pursuit of goals without respect for others, their well-being, their property, or their feelings. So there's, there's sort of a distorted purposefulness in greed. This is, this is kind of where, if you're familiar with the ideas and some of the things called the prosperity gospel, it's sort of a distortion of this sense of greed and purpose and, and confusing the two. It's, it's sort of the idea that God wants you to have all of these things and it really doesn't matter what's going on with others because if they were as driven as you, they would have what God's going to give you. And in the process, you end up trampling over other people and their concerns and their desires and you seek to live this independent life that ends up ruining you and others. True purpose can break 
the grip of greed. Because true purpose is going to extend goals beyond just hoarding what you think you need. It's going to give you a personal and communal and even transcendent type of goal for your life. And, and it can only function if you have a sense of hope. Hope that tomorrow there will be something there. That there are other people who are invested in your well-being, that God cares about you just like God cares about a sparrow, but way more. There is a sense that we can find a higher purpose when we embrace the hope that things are possible, they are available, and we can have access to them, the things that we need, even if we didn't get those things from our caregiver. The people that live with, with purpose, some of them are in our culture and probably us personally, we admire them a lot. People that achieve great financial things, they become super wealthy. We hear all about their personal lives all the time in the media and things like that because they must be really important if they've made a lot of money, if they've made a lot of wealth and they've, they've done those things well. And we think, oh, if only I could be like that. If only I could have all that money then you know, I, my life would be full. It would have all the things that I would need it to. And most of us can't do that because we weren't born in the right circumstances. We're not smart enough. We're not disciplined enough. We don't have access to generational wealth or other things like that that made that person's life possible. But there's other people that live with a dynamic and full purpose that are really well known. And I can't think of any better example of this than, than Mother Teresa, who chose a life of, of poverty because of a sense of purpose that she had to help extremely poor people in Calcutta. And the, the difference between those two is anybody could be Mother Teresa. Anybody could. She didn't have any special abilities. She wasn't born into any uh, special circumstances that gave her access to material things that she otherwise wouldn't have. She just had an insanely driven purpose. But nobody wants to be Mother Teresa. We want to admire her. We want to quote her maybe. We want to have a little card of her somewhere. But not beer. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? The thing, the, the, thing, the thing we look up to and we say, man, I wish I could be that, that wealthy person and, and what they strove for and what they were able to accomplish, but we have almost zero chance of becoming it. But the, but the other person that we look up to over here that doesn't have anything we don't have, and we're like, wow, that person's so amazing. I wish I could be like them. It's like, well, but you could. You actually could. But we don't. So to break the hold of greed, purpose and hope can do that for us. It can say, instead of I have to have this, my goal and my purpose is just to accumulate things, a type of godly purpose that Jesus talks about is like, hey, this really interests me. 
Like, how could this work if this came about in life? It's, it's got this hope attached to it that I don't have to own everything and hoard everything, but I could be curious about life. I could be driven to find out and to hope for things and to see how something would turn out if I applied myself to it. How would this impact me personally? How would this impact my community? You can see the difference with kids playing. If kids are playing and their purpose is really just wrapped up in greed, what does it sound like? Well, it sounds like blood and tears and crying and arguing over the toys. And you're like, share. And like, no, it's mine, right? And, and when kids are playing with a sense of purpose, there's like this hum of energy that happens. And they're like, oh, you do this and I do this. And you're just watching them and there's, it's like sticks and dirt and, and like trees and stuff. And, and yet they've got this whole complex thing worked out. They've got this game that they're applying themselves to. They're working together. They're collaborating with one another. There's like a hopefulness that they could find or produce something out of their curiosity, out of sharing responsibility with one another that they couldn't produce all by themselves, hoarding and stacking up all of their toys. And I think the, the thing for us to pay attention to and be aware is as easy it is as it is for us to see the difference between little kids doing that, how often as adults are we doing that? How prone are we to doing that in our little single family units all over the place, like amassing our own stuff? So what's required of us is curiosity but curiosity isn't always accessible to us in where we are right now because of the stage of life that we are stuck in, the place that we haven't moved beyond. And so before we can even be curious, some of us need to figure out just what do we need? What do we need that we didn't get? And how can we ask God and our community to help provide those needs for us? And that's really scary because we were probably taught it's not good to be needy. It's not good to need stuff. And there's a difference between identifying what type of care and love do you need that you're missing and a sense of greediness or gluttonousness of just thinking there's never gonna be enough and you've gotta consume more and more and more. So what we need is curiosity and the hope that comes with that. If we don't have access to the curiosity, we need to take a step back and start processing what are our needs? This is the way our church is actually set up to do this type of work. This is our eight practices that start with choosing presence and seeking health and then cultivating your spirituality. So when we, when we offer our eight practices classes and you learn from those things in story groups and things like that, they're designed in the way to help you navigate these types of spiritual problems of purpose. Also, we are planning, um, Mandy's already got us booked with some times for silent retreats next year, one in the first weekend of March and one in the first week of October, November. 
And those are gonna be times for us to explore some of those things as well that we want everybody to be able to come to. We're doing one as like a men's retreat and one's as a women's retreat. So people with kids can kind of take turns um, and, and, and you know, one go and the other go. And we're, we're doing these types of things and we've been doing these types of things to help us explore these problems of purpose these spiritual problems of transcending just the material needs of greed and, and, and wealth and gluttony in our, in our lives and in our culture and to ha- find little solutions, little solutions to big problems. That's what big problems need. They need small solutions, lots of little ones. And so we, we're practicing those things here. So here's what happens. Let's finish the parable with this guy. In verse 20, so he said, I'm gonna tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and then you know, I'll be set, I'll eat, drink, and be merry for a long time. And, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is a parable, so I think it's really important the way this is worded and the order in which this happens. It's almost like when this man says, you know what I'll do? He starts thinking about it. He starts thinking about this future that's all about him and not performing any important task for the stage of life he's in. Really the task that would be before him at that age in his life where he had that emotion, that, that stability and uh, that financial stability and the excess of resources is to begin pouring into other generations to other people younger than him, to be passing on and and teaching what he has learned, to be able to figure out how to multiply that into the community, into the people that are around him. If he had done that, he could have found an incredible purpose and he could have died not hearing you fool from God. But well done, well done. Even if it only ever made it to his imagination. And, and so it says, you fool this very night, your life will be demanded from you. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll build this. I'll build this and get this. And, and I, it's almost like in a sense, and it comes through in this parable to me that he kind of died the moment he made that decision. That like, that's what he was gonna do with the rest of his life. He, his, he stopped with the important tasks that he had before him. And he just decided, I'm just gonna stay stuck, like kind of like a baby like just making sure I've got everything I could ever want right in front of me. And then this says in verse 21, Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You know, do you hear that? How, How that said, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So it's like the same story. It doesn't matter how long you live. This is how it will be. It's like a perpetual thing, the lack of satisfaction, the idea that someday I'm gonna sit down and enjoy all this for myself, but I'm just gonna keep on going. It's not a good goal. It's a perpetual state. Back in those verses that I said before, I wanna read them to you as we close our time uh, this morning. Uh, verses six and seven, as Jesus is talking to the same group of people, most likely, he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
The rich man in the story didn't know that about himself. And instead of reaching out for the trust and the hope and the needs that he had, he doubled down. He doubled down on trying to consume more and more and more. And so our task, no matter what stage of life you're in, what you should do with your life, according to what I think Jesus is saying here, is to know yourself, to learn how to know what's going on inside of you, to figure out what is the task that's before you, and we can, we can help you with that. What's the task in your stage in life which is both universal and very specific to you. And then get what you need to do that well. So you don't get stuck. You don't get stuck just doing the same thing over and over, no matter how much your life and your age change. Um, I talked about the eight practices, the silent retreats. Um, one way that we've used in the past in our story groups as well is this book called Truth Be Told by Dan Allender, who has this center, and it's about knowing yourself. It's about knowing your own story and doing that type of work in a group. Um, so that is our task, that is our goal, to know ourselves so that we can be known by God and we can accomplish the tasks that are before us. So let's pray and go to the table.